Sessionable. All right. Uh, um, welcome to Sessionable. And uh, just a warning, this is a back-to-back episode so that we've recorded. Silly. So if you listen to our last episode, we've just kept going and we're recording this uh, straight after. Behind the curtain. Mm. All right. Um, so this episode... Um... Oh, yeah. So uh, we're still with Tom, Liam, oh, Brad, yeah. and Willie, special guest Willie. Hello. Hello. And we are... So last episode, we talked about Brad's trip to um, the UK. And around the same time, in fact, at the same time, at we, the same time. Tom and I were in uh, Belgium yeah. in our uh, beer trip. So I guess we'll just, you know, drink some beers and talk yeah. about Belgium. The state of the Belgian beer scene. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a similar sort of, uh, you know, wrap up. Obviously, it's a bit different um, than uh, you talking about the UK because we're not from Belgium. But... Uh, it is the it is my second time there and Adrian's fourth, fourth time. Fourth. Um, <laughs> I'm I, I, I may or may not like Belgian beer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was it was a it was a it was a really, really good trip. So we were there for about ten days and got to sort of as many breweries as we could, as many bars as we could, and sort of did as much beer stuff as we could physically fit in. Um yeah, there were things we could have done some more. Yeah, we could have. I think like I, I I was expecting everyone to like have more endurance than me, w- which is usual. Yeah, but I think everyone just got really worn out pretty early. We went on. pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. Um. And so uh, to start the trip, we literally we got off the plane um, at Brussels Airport, got on the train um, to uh, Brussels uh, South Station, which is sort of the main station, um, which also happens to be about ten minutes away walking from. County on. So we st- we stashed our bags in lockers at the station because um, our uh, Airbnb wasn't ready until the afternoon. Yep. Um, Grab some breakfast. Yep. Because Cantillon wasn't open <laughs> yet. This is like, we, like I think we got it at like nine o'clock in the morning and Cantillon opens at 10, right? Yeah. And then once Cantillon opened, we were there. Like I think we were there like just before they opened. Actually. Pretty, we were actually standing outside before they opened. We were the keen ones. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, just come in. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... Uh, Cantillon is uh, an incredible place to, to visit. I, I definitely, if, if you're ever in um, Brussels, uh, it you know, like it was our first stop, it should be your first stop. I think it's a yeah, um, and it's um, so it, it's a brewery museum, and you go in there and you do a tour for like you know five euro or whatever it is. It's it's a pretty cheap entry fee, and that gives and it gets you, you some beers. that gets you a couple of beers. And basically, the reason for that is that they were kind of going out of business um, a while ago, uh, back when they had their uh, previous brewer, Jean-Pierre, and he decided that he'd kind of, you know, petitioned the government to make them a museum to preserve the traditional brewing techniques. Um, yeah, of Lambic Brewing, which is was at the time and kind of dying off and still is a bit endangered these days so yeah it's a museum and that's how they've kind of stayed alive during the thin times um meanwhile brewing some pretty amazing world-class beers that nobody had really taken notice of until about five plus five to ten years ago Mm. really is it that recent yeah yeah, well, I, like, um, it, it was only really five years ago that Cantillons were, like, sitting on the shelf. Yeah, in, 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 in Australia. Uh, Australia. Um, at, you know, I remember being That's... at Beer Cartel and they'd be sitting there for uh, yeah. weeks, months, um, and now Beer Cartel don't put them on the shelf anymore. Yeah. 
So on the, the the first time, like, so to put it into context, I so I, I said I've been to Belgium four times. The first time I went was probably like eleven or twelve years ago, and I was just getting into sour beers back then. I you know I had just heard of Cantillon literally months before I went on that trip, and we went to the brewery and checked it out, and it was like. You know, there was nobody visiting there apart from us, really, and a couple of other peop- local people. And you can just take away as many beers as you want for several euro, and it was cheap and mm. affordable. And, you know, there was no limits on people getting bottles. Now there's limits on a- anyone that comes in there. You can only get, like, three of the special release bottles yep. and... A certain amount of the core range, like a case of the core range each, because these days it's in such high demand that people from the US come over and mule back as much as they can, and you know sell it at an inflated price. I think John Van Roy, in particular, the brewer at Cantillon, just despises the whole trading scene because you know his beers, which he doesn't. He he never intended to be sold at you know hundreds of dollars. Is being sold at hundreds of dollars. Um yeah. So just to, and uh, we haven't said, but we are drinking a Cantillon. Oh yeah. So yeah. <laughs> so um, the reason why we brought up Cantillon. Yeah. <laughs> um, is sorry we, uh, to get serious there for right. a second. Speaking of muling beers back and charging hundreds of dollars for them, guys, you guys, you're good for that. Yeah. Those hundred dollars each, fifty bucks yeah. a head, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah sweet. Um, yeah, so we're drinking the, the Cantillon uh, Vigneron, which is uh, basically uh, Cantillon Lambic with uh, Italian musket grapes. So do I recall um, that these monastery breweries are not allowed to make a profit? Okay, so this is... Uh, uh, Lambic is separate from monastery right. brewing. So, so is the, what you're yeah. okay. thinking of. Yeah, so the guys like Chimay or Val, that's a it's a it's another it, it's the other sort of Belgian brewing tradition. Like the they you know uh yeah, Lambic is the, so Cantillon never involved with a monastery. Okay. And uh I don't believe any of the Lambic breweries no. were excuse my faux pas. That's no right. worries. That's a, a good point. But um I wanted to ask cuz there's a question that this beer particular always burns in my mind. Did you ask why the fuck there's a Star of David on the label? Um, we did not ask. Um, I'm not sure, actually. I, I, I think um, I think there's an explanation on Lambic.info, but I can't remember what the explanation is. Um, yeah, uh, plug for Lambic.info, which is an incredible resource, and I am searching right now. So, um, the reason is uh, the six-pointed uh, Star of David is also known as the Brewer's Star. It's not just... Uh, the Star of David, that same symbol, has been used to represent brewing across the ages. I did know that, and I forgot that. So it's good that I looked that up. I think the Vignerons are a, a beautiful beer. And, and the thing with the Vigneron that maybe stands it apart from, from the Goose and the, the other uh, Cantian options is is the use of uh, the musket grapes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll see here you know, how many times can you guys talk about Wildflower. Um, and, and you'll Ding. see, you'll see, you'll see Topher, who 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 also um, is is working a lot with with grapes as a as a ingredient as an adjunct into to his beers. And the the thing with with wine and like a musket um, is is probably best known here as being a reasonably sweet grape. Uh, but what you have 
in this is any great grape has this balance of sweetness and acidity. Yep. And that is what makes it work in these, mm-hmm. you know, reasonably sour beers. Mm. Because, mm. You, you know, this isn't puckeringly sour. No. You know, we, we, we had a beer earlier that, that we really thought, oh, wait a minute. Oh, yep. that's, that's, that's sour. This has probably got the same level of, like, you know, grams per litre of acid as that one, but it has this beautiful balance. Yeah. Um, and we were we were um, talking with our good friend uh, Frank Boone when we were on the trip. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> and, um, no, but he was saying, like, a good lambic should not be puckeringly sour. It should have a balance between, yeah. you know, uh, sweetness and sour. And it, I think it came up because um, uh, one of our companions on the trip had a massive double pack of renitidine. Um, or Zantac, Zantac uh, yeah. um, with him to and um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he was like, I just need it for the all the all the acid and drinks. Like, oh, there should not be that much acid in in a, and I think um, uh, a lot of like American sour brewers are now going way too acidic. Mm. Um, yep, uh, and I do like that. When I don't think we're seeing as much of that in Australia um, with our sort of no, I don't think so. Sour yeah, I think they're... hops always. There's an there's an extreme with hops where you get used to it. Acidity, you don't. So it's it's not like you you have one acidic beer and then you go, oh, I want it more sour, and then you have more sour, and then more sour. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work like that. You need balance in beer. Yep. I'm glad you brought up the the use of musket grapes and the balance of the the sweetness and the acidity and wildflower as well, because I think. Um, Wildflower did a good job with the Zabibo beer that they came out with uh, recently, which was using the Zabibo grape. Um, that was fucking tasty, and again, like it wasn't, it wasn't super sweet, uh, it wasn't super sour. Um, I, I don't really know too much about the Zabibo grape, I, only that I've had a couple of nice Zabibo wines, but yeah. That worked out really well, I thought. Yeah, it's, it's certainly one of those wines that's pretty trendy with the uh, the, the the more natural, the natural wine, wine you know, the, that whole kind of, you know, that side that has a certain edge of like acidity that, mm-hmm. that really comes through and just makes it kind of jump out the glass. So, yep. you know, that, that makes it work really well in Tofu. Yeah. Um, while we're on the topic as well, I, I'm really enjoying beer wine hybrids. I think that is um, such a fun space. Um, that some breweries are playing in. I think what, obviously Wildflower we spoke about. Um, you know the um, Wild Ravens uh, did a few really good ones. The um, uh, the Merlot particularly was delicious. Yeah, that was um, good. I really enjoy the Mornington Vin Ales for the last couple of years. Um, and uh, I think there's there's probably a few more. I think Two Meter Tall's done um, a few of those as well. Um, Lucy Margot went the other way around. Lucy Margot did the other way around. Yeah. It was a natural um, winemaker who made. A wine with barley and hops. Spelt barley Spelt and hops. Spelt barley and hops. Which, uh, Who knows also... how we made it? Because there's no information on the internet. Yeah. But again, really interesting, <laughs> really interesting liquid. Like, I don't know what yeah, else to no, call it. Yeah, no, it was, it was like, tasty. Yeah. Um, yeah, so really enjoying that. Uh, and and uh, this is uh, probably one of the um, uh, one of the inspirations for a lot of that. I had a question for you, Willie, because um, on the bottle it says to drink within 10 years of bottling date and... Funnily enough, I've never had a bottle of vinerone that I've been able to keep for 10 years. But um, how would that um, flavour develop over time? I, it, it's, it's funny you should ask that because cause the, the main thing that you find is that acidity just stays there 
the whole time. So, you know, what would change in there is, is probably your your perception of fruit. Some of the fruit would actually kind of fall out. So, you you just now you're kind of sitting there with with a, a I don't want to say it's reasonably sweet, but it, it has a, a level of kind of grapey, yeah, you know, that that Nelson Sauvignon that we had earlier on. It's it's got that kind of grapey kind of. Uh, flavour, that might actually fall out a little bit, but acidity is going to stay there. So you might get a little bit more kind of aged character, kind of darker, more kind of like, you know, dried fruit kind of character. Um, I'd, I'd love to see that in 10 years' time. Um, it's got a dirty piece of wood in the, the top of it, which is always going to uh, worry me um, when you're lying that down. Um it only needs that beer bottle cap on top of it, if you, if you'd like my humble opinion. <laughs> um, and you know, I, I had a couple um, recently, and it was the same beer as a Dreyfontein and um, kind of side by side. And the older one was really quite obviously affected by mm-hmm. oxidation, not not by cork, you know, itself, but it it hadn't sealed it properly. And and you you had this kind of darkness to it. It was a different colour from the, the other one. You're just like, yeah, you know, why'd you do that, man? We should probably talk about a few other places other than Cantillon as well um, that we went to. Yeah, I mean, just in terms of new venues. Um, so the last time I went to Belgium was when you were there as well, yeah. Tom. And that was about four or five years ago. Four, yeah, four years ago. Something like three, that. Four years ago. Um, it's yeah, and back then it was pretty much you go to Cantillon and you go to Motolambic, the original one. Yeah, the, uh, oh, the, the Fontaines was. Yeah, there, both, yeah. both, both were around. Um, both have been around for a while, and and that was pretty much it in terms of like the really pointy end craft beer venues. Um, apart from a couple of restaurants that that did, including that one beer. that we can't uh, pronounce. Yeah, I, the, I won't um, even try. Nig enough or yeah, something. Yeah, I, I won't yeah. even try. But yeah, so these days there are a bunch more br- uh, breweries and venues that yep. are around, which is good to see. Um, there was this bar, which I think might have been around back when we were there. We just didn't go there, called Dynamo. Yeah. Which is really cool. Dynamo was fantastic. Um, um, and they're doing more, they're focusing more on the kind of what we call craft beer. What they call beer over there is just like all the traditional stuff, and they wouldn't classify any of the Abbey beers or um, or Rodenbach or, or Lambic or anything like that as craft beer. They'd just call that beer. Whereas this bar would focus on stuff like IPAs and Imperial Stouts. I'd had some really, and really good IPAs like and Imperial Stouts and had some um, yeah. great stuff from, from all around as well, not just from Belgium. Yeah. And like the, the whole philosophy behind it was that, you know, there, there was so much traditional beer around that what what's the point of opening a bar doing the same thing yeah why don't we open a bar doing stuff that you don't see everywhere else and it was cool to see uh from what i could gather you know the that that segment of the beer scene was still pretty young and definitely growing Mm -hmm. in especially among the younger younger people yeah in um in belgium we went to a really cool um small brewery um, Herm- Hermitage, yeah, um, uh, which is actually just around the corner from Cantillon, and um, they were doing—they uh, weren't doing the classic styles. They were doing, 
very much more American style craft, and they had a really really nice like hazy pale ale. I think was what we were all drinking, right? Yep that um, that was one of my favorite really, uh, really beers good. of the trip. Yeah, the the um what was it called? Oh, it's got the Bra- um, Bru- Bruxelles Mabel. Bruxelles Mabel, um, yeah, like that. I was going to ask: do, do these crafty style Belgian beers have a distinct character to them, or could you just be drinking? IPAs in America or Norway or Denmark or the UK? Um, some of them. Well, I think um, that kind of blends in well with the next beer that we'll talk about soon. Yeah. But um, I, I, I think it's split. Like a lot of the brewery, the newer breweries are doing, you know, American style. Yeah, and fermenting with USO5. And, yeah. You know. So, like, what they like to, like, what they have. What what has gotten them excited? Which is really interesting because a lot of like I just I love that sort of reversal. A lot of um, if you ask uh, a lot of sort of especially the first or second wave of of craft brewers from yeah. America and from the states, uh, from America and from Australia, um, their inspiration was Belgium, right? Like that's what they were like. We went to Belgium. We realized this was good beer. We wanted to make good beer at home, and now these Belgians are going to America and saying like, oh, we want to make this beer um, instead. I, I, I find that reversal kind of interesting. I suppose everything that you've kind of grown up around and has always been there in the in the as part of the furniture yeah. is seen as a bit daggy, right? No matter where you're from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's a there's a fondness for British style car scales elsewhere in the world that you just don't see from people. Yep. Who yeah, yeah, okay, absolutely. Cask yeah. beer, right? And I guess it's the same for Belgians. Mm-hmm. They probably feel the same about the lambics and the yeah. Trappist stuff. I did really enjoy. There were a lot of sort of Belgian IPAs um, that were really good, uh, really tasty, and they definitely had that distinctive Belgian yeast character. Um, but nice, fresh, hoppy, mm. um, and uh, whereas those styles in Australia always seem a bit. Uh, always seem a bit heavy and bloated to me. They're not as um, as refined as some of the ones we had over there. Yeah, I think um, so. The other side of that is there are a few of the new breweries that are kind of doing, I guess, hybrids of new world styles and what whatever they grow up with. So uh, the, the brewery that we're drinking a beer off next is uh, Brasserie de la Seine, and yeah, it's it's kind of hard to categorize a lot of their beers because they're kind of inspired by both sides and they're definitely not traditional but they're definitely not completely new world mm. uh, and there were a few breweries like them that were kind of doing mixes of that and i guess you know when when you grow up in belgium and your definition of beer is so many different styles like you can have a lager or a, or a brown ale or a sour or a you know an abbey yeah uh, like Ab- a abbey strong, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. There's so many different definitions of what a regular beer is rather than just your standard lager, which they have as well, that when you want to start your own brewery, you go, well, you know, I don't want to be pigeonholed into anything. I'm just going to make it up. Make a beer. I wonder if there's a wee generational thing as well where, you know, same as in Britain where the Cascale was kind of, you know, well, that was my, my granddad's beer. Yeah. You know, like, you know, these traditional styles, you know, if I'm a, if I was a millennial, I'd be going, oh, what's what's next? What's, yeah. you know, what's I'd, happening in America? What's happening elsewhere? So Definitely some of that. We went to a really interesting um, Lambic Beer Festival. Um, it was the weekend of spontaneous fermentation um, out in a small town. And it's run by um, a basically a Lambic Beer Appreciation Society. And we definitely, you know, you, being there, you definitely got the sense that, yeah, it was um, 
the 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 demographics were were definitely skewed older there, and, and the people running it. Um, there were a few uh, younger people dotted around the festival, but it was yeah, definitely skewed a bit older. I think we were below the average for we sure. Were, we were definitely below the average. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's interesting because like, see, last week was a big festival in Italy. And they looked young. You know, those mm. guys who were at mm. Sarah Beer Festival in Italy, they looked like young yeah. guys. I kind of wonder if 20 years from now, we'd be running festivals going like, oh, let's preserve, uh, you know, Nipahs. <laughs> <laughs> the preservation of yeah. kettle sours yeah, yeah. in Australia. <laughs> yeah. So, we're now drinking the Brasserie de la Seine Naran Vat. I think I want Willie to say... Uh, the style. The style, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is a barrel-aged brown ale with bread. <laughs> wow. Um, Sorry, Willie. <laughs> where are they from again? <laughs> I believe they're from Brussels. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Um, the label says, a club made with our friend Will Myers from Cambridge Brewing Company. Which I yeah. is it? Is that Cambridge in I the US or the UK? I believe it's the US. Okay, cool. So... We picked this up, uh, you, you picked this up, Tom, when we went to Brasserie de la Seine, just on the other side of the Seine River from the Brussels city centre. Yeah. Actually, like, it was easy to get to, but it was... Well, it was one of the few places, we, yeah. we got an Uber out there. Yeah, it, it was kind of like, it felt like inner West Sydney in terms of the neighbourhood. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the space as well. And the... The actual cellar door, if you can even call it a cellar door, was just very lo-fi. It was very lo-fi. And, yeah. and we, we went on like a weekday morning, basically. So, it was <laughs> it was empty. Um, we were the only people there. Uh, and there was barely anyone behind the bar, even. I think everyone was in the brewery and sort of were like, what do you want? And I was like, well, we want a beer. Um, so, we, we weren't there for too long, but we, we had a few beers there. And then um, I picked this up to take back. Because um, it looked interesting, basically. It's pretty tasty. Yeah, yeah, I really tasty. like yeah. it. I do really like it. It's very different. Yeah, and and these guys, um, they do, uh, yeah, they do a lot of beers, some some more new world stuff, um, some more old world stuff. Uh, yeah, this this one's definitely somewhere in between. Yeah, um, like I was saying, like a lot of their beers are like, you know, definitely inspired by both sides of you know traditional and new world. Um, I think their flagship beer is um, like a Belgian pale ale, essentially, but yeah. just more hobby. Like you say, massively bretty, but there's actually a really good brown ale underneath that. Mm. It just becomes really uh, drinkable, I think. comes together and just really quite smashable. That, that bret yeast is really obvious. It's got that real leveriness. Mm. Yeah. But again, it's not overpowering anything. So that brown ale that's sitting underneath it, it's, it's, it really works. Mm. Very nice. Mm. I want to see more uh, more bretted brown ales. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it works really well. Yeah. It's... um. That might be how we save the uh, English bit. Just yeah, could be. <laughs> could be. So, um, a few other places we visited um, that we really enjoyed. Um, we, we took the trip out to Duval, uh, to their mm. brewery, which is uh, north. Yeah, north yeah. of Brussels, north of Brussels. Uh, on the way to Antwerp. Pretty yeah. much halfway in between Antwerp and Brussels. Yeah, it was a bit of a pain to get to, and all the people there laughed at us when we told them we got the bus. It wasn't that much. Like, it it wasn't took, that like, bad. 40 minutes. Like, yeah, I don't know what they were talking about. Bad. The guy was like... Oh, I wouldn't do that. It's like, well, we, we didn't. We were fine. We got yeah, here. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, shout out to old mate Jared. Friend who, of the show. Friend of the show. Yeah. For hooking us up with that tour. 
uh, that Jared, I believe, works for du- Duval. He works for Duval UK. Duval, U- Duval UK, which yeah. is a separate entity, um, but is their is you know their importer into the UK. And and um, yeah, it, it turned out that our friend Jared was in Belgium at the same time as us, and was doing a company tour of of Duval and invited us along and. So we met, went, up, went up with him for that and got to do a, a tour of the brewery and it was um, it was impressive. Yeah, one of, one of the things that I that struck me with the Duval tour was, and I'd never been to a like a large scale mm. brewery before, but just how big the scale was compared to anything else that we visited during that trip. And yeah, it was just crazy. Like the the bottle cleaning machine. Yeah, it was was amazing. It's was so much like fun to watch. Bigger than many microbreweries, yeah. pretty much. Yeah, it definitely reminded me of the of the Pilsner Raquel uh, tour in that in that regard. Um, it's just a massive mega scale brewery. And and uh, what what what's also great about Duval is basically they make one beer. Yeah. <laughs> they've got this mega brewery, and for the most part, they're pumping out one beer. Um, they've got a few other things, and they brew some other stuff uh, for some other people. Yeah, they got other well. lines. They they do yeah. brew other beers there, but for yeah. the mo- like the majority of what they do at that brewery, I think they said yeah. do something like seventy eighty percent of volume is just Duval. Yeah, um, which is a lot. Um, a bit like CUE, right? Just one beer. Well. <laughs> <laughs> But at least like, Duval just puts the one label on it, right? CUB is like the Duff Brewery in the Simpsons. Yeah. Where it's like the one pipe comes out in the three different beers. Um, so that was that was that was really um, that was really interesting and really cool. And the, and the beers are really like I actually drank a lot of Duval over there because it was just an easy. It was in every every restaurant, every bar yeah. at Duval because you know. So I'm heading to uh, to Belgium for the first time in about twenty years um, in a couple of weeks' time. Um, did you guys get to Boon? Because I, no. when I went there last time, Boon was the brewery to go to, and it was from Michael Jackson's Beer Hunter, yeah. and and that particular Lambic brewery was the one that everyone talked to. Were they were they owned by Palm back then? And they were not. They weren't. It, okay, it was Frank Boone yeah. doing it and himself. Yeah, yeah. And wow. Then, you know that was the, the really exciting, uh, exciting side of things. Pam, you know when I went to to Belgium the the last time, Pam was described as Foster's. You know, it, yeah. it was it was the. The, the beer that you know, Stella was Foster's, Pam was the beer that everyone actually drank in Belgium. And just, you know, you're bored. The, the you're VB lighter. to Stella's Foster's. Exactly. <laughs> but you did get to meet Frank Boone. We did, we did get to meet Frank Boone. And that was at that, um, uh, that Lambic Beer Festival that, we, that I talked about earlier. Um, we were uh, sitting at a table with um, Brad uh, Rogers, with Brad Rogers uh, which was nice. Of Stonerwood fame. And Brad... Uh, uh, saw Frank walk in and waved to him, and then Frank came and sat at our table. For Apparently, the, they're old mates for two, three hours. So, yeah, yeah. nice. Um, we drank a lot of Boone with Frank Boone, um, which was great, and got to hear him talk about them. Which really, it really was uh, I, for me probably the highlight of the trip because his knowledge is just incredible. He really knows what he's doing, and he was uh, he was a lot of fun. Are you going to go to Boone again? Um, well, I, 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 I was certainly thinking about it, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what my wife says about it. Because um, you do have to book in advance for that now. I suspect my brother, who I'll be there with, uh, he might just be uh, purchasing some tickets. There we go. <laughs> Very nice. Um, another uh, uh, Lambic brewery we went to, which uh, we really enjoyed, uh, was the Dreyfontaine um, Lambic O'Droom. Mm. 
um, which is their new faci- newer facility. Um, was it, that was still in the town of Beersall, right? Or no? It's in the no, area. It's in Lot. It's in. It, it, I'm not sure exactly where it is. Yes. Lot was the station we got off at. Yeah. But yeah, I can't remember the exact um, town. It's fairly close to. Yeah, it. it's, it's, it's Beersall or Lot or one of the yeah. other ones near there. Um, it's near there, and and it was a it was a very sort of like modern. Um, facility, yeah. And, um, we it's got a really beautiful sort of beer garden, and we sat in that yeah. garden for hours drinking uh, crazy lambics. Well, the story time. with Bissell was that they almost died because they, they had a thermostat problem that yeah. meant that all their bottles that were conditioning their thermostat just kept going up and up without any safety, and uh, pretty much like three quarters of the, or more of their bottles exploded. Wow. And they lost most of their stock. And, you know, through, you know, miracles of uh, community and marketing, they have built themselves back up to pretty much being one of the most sought after sour breweries in the world. And it's actually crazy going there that their beers, out of anybody, even more than Cantillon, were the most expensive beers yep. that we came across. Um, and even like, you know, if, if, if you're in, if you're part of that beer trading scene, they are some of the most sought after beers. Um, and like, they are very good. It they was, are very it was, good. It, yeah. was, it, was, it, was, it was absolutely um, worth uh, visiting. We had a lot of fun. One of the highlights as well was all the breweries um, that did food basically had a mixed cheese and meat plate. Yeah, um, and pate. And, and uh, yeah, so yeah, at, at Dreyfontaine, it was specifically pate and a wheel of cheese, basically. And it was great. Um, and we just sat in the garden drinking flambic, eating pate and cheese. It was great. It was like hey, you three, it's like three <laughs> Fontanen branded pate. But the thing is, like, I was like, oh, sweet, three Fontanen pate. And like creek made out of, uh, pate made out of creek. And then I saw in another shop, like, the exact same branding, but, like, a different brewery. And yeah. I'm like, they ju- did they just put their name on that? <laughs> Probably. Maybe. Um, yeah. we, we don't know that for a fact. But it was tasty. <laughs> it was very good. But, yeah. Sounds dreadful. It really yeah. was, I'll, yeah. I'll be there in a few yeah. weeks. <laughs> I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd really recommend. You know that. what I want to try to find in Australia? I mean, we can probably find it, but the, the dry sausage they do over there. Yeah. Which um, I'm pretty sure is... You know, uh, not just a Belgian thing; it's a European mm-hmm. thing. But yeah, yeah. Um, dry sausage with sour beer is pretty, pretty good. Well. Um, and I think the other brewery off the top of my head, especially in that sort of uh, really classic Belgian tradition, that I really enjoyed was Rodenbach. Yeah, we got to do a tour of uh, the Rodenbach Brewery in Roselair. Um, big thanks to Heron Towers for hooking us up with a tour there. It was amazing. It was a really good tour. They basically have this big building. It's like three stories, and you start at the top, the, the first, the top floor, and it's just a room full of massive fooders. And then you go downstairs, and that next story is just a room yeah, full of it's just massive fooders. So many fooders. You go down just, like, you get, like, when does it stop? It, yeah. it keeps going, and then like, at and the you're end, only in a small section yeah. of it as well. You're not seeing the whole. And then at the end of the same. tour, even like in the kind of function area, they have several fooders. Yeah. In terms of scale, like versus Duval, what's the, the- um, their scale is again because they they don't because um, they 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 ferment in those or they age in those food as they ferment in um, stainless steel. Stainless steel. But uh, it, it, I think it was I think volume wise it's smaller than the Duval Brewery. Um, Rodenbach is owned by Palm. Yeah, we were discussing earlier. But uh, they are yeah they they have sort of a hard limit on their 
capacity because they yeah. have to age the beer. Yeah. Um, so the, a lot like before they were bought out by Palm, their capacity was pretty. I mean, their their output was pretty small, so that their capacity could fit it. And they had a lot of, according to the tour, they had a lot of fooders that they weren't using. And once they got bought out by Palm and they started getting distributed everywhere, yeah. they had to start using those fooders straight away. Because it takes a while to make a blended yeah. sour beer. So, yeah. So, with, with Rodenbach, they, they basically have two core beers and then a bunch of variations. Um, so, Rodenbach Grand Cru, which is one we all know. Mm-hmm. I think there is two parts. Two parts old, one old, part young. Yeah. Old beer, one part young beer. Yeah. So, from what from what the tour guide was saying, that used to be just... It used to be just old beer. Just old beer. Yeah. Which is now what the vintage is. So, vintage yeah. is... Uh, just old lamb, uh, old not lambic, old Rodenbach, but from one single fooder. So it's not blended; it's just one fooder, hundred percent old. Um, whereas the uh, Grand Cru is a blend of old and right. young, and then the um, original is, is like three quarters young, one quarter old, or yeah. something. Um, and then they're trying to do, you know, they're trying to do other beers so they can, you know, maximize how much because they got their Alexander as well. That's another one. Yeah, so Alexander is basically Grand Cru. With cherries, right? Yeah. Um, and then they have the character Rouge as well. They've got a bunch, you know. Yeah. But they, it, a lot of that is just sort of fruiting their existence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Those, those were, I think, the, the brewery highlights. Um, the other brewery I really enjoyed was Doc Brewing in Ghent. Yeah, that was cool. Um, um, which was very much more of a... Again, new, new World styles yeah. um, on the waterside in Ghent, uh, which in, in an area, again, like kind of like the inner west. Yeah. Um, of Sydney, it felt like a sort of a, a facility like tram sheds or something. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It was huge. Yeah. Like it was, there was several warehouses, heaps of different businesses around. Yeah. There was an, like a massive Irish pub, <laughs> which we actually spent hours. In yeah, I, <laughs> because it had it was like an Irish pub slash arcade sort of. Yeah, so it, it had was... like lots of games, and we played darts for ages. Oh, we played mate. Um, Belgian bumper pool. Which did is... we end up playing curling? I did. No, there we was, didn't. We didn't. There was a doing, curling. But there rink. was a curling rink. <laughs> wow. Um, Why did you it, not do it, curling? It wasn't ice. It was just like you know plastic. Um, plastic curling. So Belgian <laughs> bumper pool is like imagine a pool table, but with bumpers on it, and it's only got two pockets. One oh, in so the middle hard. of each end. Yeah. And you have to get and and but next to each pocket are two bumpers, so you have to be like straight dead on. Yeah. To get the ball in, and you're you sort of go. Um, yeah, it, it's it's really weird. It was funny because, um, like, yeah, it was really hard and, like, it's hard not to hit the bumpers when you're trying to get into the pocket. And reading the rules is like, oh, yeah, you start off simultaneously and if both players get it into the pocket, <laughs> then you keep going. And I'm like, how can both play? How can one player get it into the pocket from the from like the start? Yeah, it's just it's, so hard. Yeah, it's... um. Crazy! It it was. I'd like to like watch some YouTube videos yeah, exactly, actually, actually. <laughs> of competitions. It'd um, be cool. Awesome. Well, um, should we take a break there and then uh, come back with our final beer and then recommendations? Let's do it. Sessionable. Just before we get into recommendations, we have one more. Yeah, I've got a bit of bit one of, more bit story. Of a fun I guess. Story with this one. Why don't you tell it, Tom? Um, you so like telling stories. I do like. Yeah, God, that's amazing. Um, so this uh, we're drinking um, the Oud Beer Cell um, Oud Gers Vila Oud. Pipen, I think. So it's a single barrel, or, or maybe not single barrel, but it's a barrel select Gers. Um, um, oh, oh, by the way, it's Oud VA. Oud VA. Uh, so okay. it's funny because it's actually redundant. Oud means old and VA means old. And also, Oud, Oud means old in Dutch, VA means old in 
um, in French. And also the full name of this is Oud BSL Oud Gers VA Oud Pipen. So it's so, lots of oud. So it's really old. Yeah. It's really old. Um, basically, so um, uh, oud BSL, um, one of the one of the one of the great uh, lambic producers, and they've got a great story. So we we went on a Saturday. We hadn't booked a tour because we thought we'd just go to their shop and uh, you know buy a bunch of beer to take back. And we're at the shop and we're talking to the guy behind the counter and um, you know mentioned we're from Australia and he's like, oh, it's really cool. Um, I'll take you on a little tour of the brewery. And so we're like, oh, great. Like, we weren't expecting a tour and we got, we got to have a tour. And he took us and it's amazing. Really, really cool, small, lambic brewery, um, old, lots of old barrels, old fooders. Yeah. Um, and they don't actually brew their own beer yet. Not yet. Um, I think their, their, their wort is made at, at uh, Boone, Boone at yeah. the moment. Yep. But they're planning on, on putting new brewing equipment in. The reason they haven't is uh, basically the guy who was taking us on the tour, his name was Gert, and he, growing up, he grew up in the town of BSL. Um, and he uh, really, uh, he, his parents were wine drinkers, so they didn't really have like, you know, uh, w- the beer they had in the fridge was pretty much just Oud BSL Lambic. Like, if they had beer in the fridge, it was Oud BSL Lambic. And so that's what he grew up drinking, and, and he, he loved it, and that was his favourite beer. And, um, you know, jump forward a, a bunch of years, and he's uh, working in telecom, and he, you know, um, goes, you know, going to his, his local pub and always orders the Oud BSL Lambic. And then uh, one day the, the bartender goes, oh, just so you know, like, I can't serve you this anymore. So what do you mean? Um, Oud BSL had gone out of business and that was the last. Well, they were going out of business. They were going out of yeah. business and they weren't. And so uh, Gert contacted the brewery and spoke to the brewmaster and um, offered to help out. And long story short, he ended up buying Oud BSL with, um, I think, a, f- uh, a f- friend and his dad. Yep. And um, now uh, they've sort of uh, uh, breathed new life into it and are doing some really, really cool stuff. Um, this beer uh, specifically is selected from Lambic aged in some of their oldest barrels. Um, I think it says on the on the bottle some of the barrels are uh, between 60 and 120 years Jeez. old. Jeez. Uh, wow. And yeah. So it's, that is uh, oud. It is, it is. That's why there's so many ouds on the, <laughs> on the, on the bottle. Um, yeah. I guess it's kind of like what other... Lambic brewers do when they do like their special releases where they pick the best of the best barrels yep. and it's release like the that. Marriage yeah. Cafe or you yeah. know, that sort of um, tradition of, of selecting the best barrels. Um, what was really cool about Oud BSL and the thing that I that really drew me to them is they were also uh, playing around and having fun with it. So um, we went to a bar in um, Antwerp, I think called Beer Lovers Bar. Yep, and they had great bar. Yeah, really, really cool. Yeah, bar. really cool. Um, and they had, uh, on the menu, they had this, they had an Earl Grey Lambic on the menu. And I was like, can I get some of the Earl Grey Lambic? And it was... so. It we, was we, no, the first thing we thought was, Lee would fucking love yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Lee, I tried to bring some back for you, and I, uh, the, we, we could not find any to bring back. Um, but it was, it was an Oud BSL Lambic um, infused with Earl Grey um, and served from basically a goon bag. Like, it was, um, it was a... a, a, a cardboard box with a, a, a bag in the middle and yeah and that was how it was served and um when we went to the brewery like that was kind of the reason we went was to try and find a, a box of that to bring back um they didn't have any of that but they did have a little bit to taste not to to take away of another lambic they did with lapsang souchon oh, yeah that was ridiculous which was incredible like it was just it was so smoky yeah um i loved it so Oud BSL is was that was like that's why we sort of saved this one for last because that is uh that was my yeah, um, it was the brewery that I I think I got the most out of. I thought they were they were pretty cool because they were like the, the guy you know Gert was 
you know, his intention behind buying the brewery was because he didn't want his kind of favorite style of drink to die. But also he's a businessman. So he's like, you know what, I'm going to experiment as well. Like I'm, I want to preserve tradition and still, you know, release these classic styles, yeah. but I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be held back by that either. Yeah. So I'm going to experiment and <coughs> in order to like, Get, keep the business going while they re you know restocked for their lambics. They're brewing these just regular beers like the the tripel that they do, and that's what they did to help them get through them. Yeah, basically just to, because it takes so long to brew lambic stock, like it literally takes years to start blending back to make gerzes and whatever they were making before. They've brewed these regular beers and i think you know from what i've heard they're kind of looked down upon i guess yeah by the traditional some of the traditional brewers because they're not doing just traditional beers but i th- look i think they're doing a good job and like this beer is fucking tasty and mm-hmm. if you if you didn't tell me that these guys you know in their current incarnation have only been around for 10 plus years i wouldn't have you know yeah exactly. i wouldn't have argued with you fuck the haters yeah, yeah. There, w- there was another brewery that's coming up as well. Um, one of the newest brewery, Lambic breweries. Oh, what are they called again? Uh, Lambic um, Fabrique. That was it. Yeah. Ooh, um, nice. And uh, they're less than, I think they're like barely three years old. So mm. they're not well, really. I think they literally, we were, they were yeah. established 2016. I yeah. Think, so so like, they're not really making so not a lot of. they've not released anything yet. Yeah. They, no, they they, they've, they've released, released a couple of things. Or like one or two. I only had like a sip. I think you had more of it than I did. Tom. Yeah, we 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 cracked the bottle open at our apartment late one night, and Adrian decided he didn't want that much, and it was a seven fifty bottle. I was mm-hmm. fucked. Everyone. All was right, fucked. I'm yeah. drinking that bottle. Yeah. Did you enjoy the seven fifty ml? It wasn't. It wasn't massively um, acidic. Um, yeah, but it was very bready. It was very bready. Yeah, um, and I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I, was Was there anywhere <coughs> producing lambics and new style beers? In, from in the same place, not really. Again, I think I think I know BSL was, yeah. was the closest. Yeah, um, but that was more adjunct lambics as opposed to IPAs and. Oh no, yeah, no, no one doing IPAs or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lambics, not, yeah. not that I know of. Yeah, I mean, yeah. watch this space, right? Yeah, like, you know, it, you it, know. It, it, it could happen because um, because, if I was out there, because I'd be of the dabbling in both, yeah, right? Yeah, I'd want, yeah, I'd want to do yeah. both. I think Cantillon, you know, does sort of. Uh, you know, again, everything they do is lambic, but like when we were there, they had a. We, we didn't actually get to try it. Yeah. Oh, the blipper. The blipper. I'm, um, I'm starting to think it's a joke. Maybe. It's like everyone yeah. who orders a IPA and they're like, oh, no, it's not pouring properly at the yeah. moment. That's what happened to yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. But I think like even them, they're like anything, anything interesting, like anything, well, I'd say interesting, anything out of the tradition that they make is pretty much just taking a piss. There's like this, this Brussels. A reputation of everyone just taking the piss. Well, that's what Swansea means. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's their like unique sense of humour. Yeah, the symbol of Brussels is a statue of a pissing child. Yeah, um, and that sort of is that like the embodiment of the their sort of sense of humour. I yeah. believe they're called cherubs. It's this uh, the, the mannequin piss is not. Is, is, I don't <laughs> think it's actually a cherub. Um, uh, anyway, um, I think that's probably where we should wrap. Yeah, let's um, let's go into recommendations. Let's do some recommendations. Um, I have blanked on what my beer was going to be. Oh, okay. I have a beer. Okay. You I'm go. gonna I'm gonna do the Wayward Codebreaker. Oh, would, yeah. Um, Codebreaker because it's made with Enigma hops. Enigma, the co- the the you know. Oh, like the code the breaking machine. War- yeah, the code breaking machine. Yeah. Um, it's a fresh hop 
Paleo, which means it's probably like what, like close to two months now, and it's still tasting fucking yeah. good. Um, so let me jump in there because I'm also going to recommend a Wayward beer. Oh, classic um, Brad. Yeah, classic <laughs> Brad. I, I say having recommended Wayward in the last episode. This is um, the new one this weekend, just gone called uh, Shadinasty's Pale Ale. Apparently, it's a reference to It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Okay. And the, the standing joke is that everyone goes in there and orders the shady nasties. Um, but apparently, it's pronounced Shadinasty's. Um, it's a <laughs> it's an American pale ale, very kind of light-coloured, straw-coloured um, pale ale. But the interesting thing about it is it's made with a new sh- uh, strain of grain. It's like a a barley slash wheat hybrid grain. Ooh. So, and it actually tasted really good. Um, and I believe that it was also one of these ones that they've produced with fike yeast as well. So it okay. had yeah. had the new style of grain, the new yeast, and it just had some very aromatic, tasty, fruity hops What's as well. What's it called, Triticale, the grain? I don't know. I don't know. They that's just, a hybrid grain. They just yeah. referred yeah. it to the as a, as a new yeah. kind of hybrid style. I yeah. thought it tasted yeah. excellent. I think Triticale would, be, would work well in a beer called Shadinasty. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was going to recommend, I think I might have recommended it on the on the podcast before is another beer podcast called the Belgium smack, mm. which is, I thought, you know, talking about you guys trip. And if anyone wants to dive a bit deeper into some of these breweries, I know yeah. like Frank Boone's been on there. They've interviewed one of the guys from Brasserie de la Seine. So it's a interesting podcast because it's an Irish guy who lives in Belgium, but he's, uh, has a thick as fuck Irish accent, but has the most perfect Belgian pronunciation I've ever heard in my life. But, um, nice. it's very much deep dive interviews with producers out of, out of Belgium and yeah. focusing on a lot of the stuff you're talking about. So yeah, That'd if anyone like, wants yeah, to absolutely. listen a little bit more, find out a bit more, that'd be what, what, what I recommend. Good call. Yeah. I was, I was listening to, I was binging on that on the plane to um to europe so yeah that was that was really good um especially like hearing from a lot of the breweries that we were going to visit yeah it was crazy and yeah you're right about his accent it's just it's so off-putting it's like irish and then all of a sudden flemish (laughs) um so yeah yeah no no it's good i back that up um all right so my um beer recommendation is another adjunct stout can't help myself. Guys. What's Tom's adjunct stout <laughs> recommendation for the week? So this is the uh, Mountain Goat Garage Project collab, the Horn Please. Oh, yeah, that so, was good, actually. Yeah, yeah. Chili chai, Imperial Stout, Imperial yeah. Milk Stout. It's probably all I need to say, right? Like, it was... Yeah. It, it was very chai, I thought, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, I found it quite quite sweet, quite, like, milky yeah. as well, which, again, I'm, I'm all for, so... Yeah, it was nice. It was, um, it was yeah. a good beer. And uh, I'm just going to follow up... Uh, Tom's recommendation there. A um, little bit of Belgian, I'm going to recommend uh, Bridge Road uh, B2 Bomber. Oh, yeah. Mac 9. So it's the 14th birthday of Bridge Road at the weekend. Wow. And uh, they release every year the, the uh, B2 Bomber. And it's a Belgio Americano black mm. IPA. Okay. Or Imperial, I think they've actually made it into Imperial Stout. They, they, they I can assure stout. you they've started to call it Imperial Stout now at 12%. Ooh. And this year they've added um, some lactose and vanilla to it. All right, well, I know and, where I'm uh, going as soon as we finish this. You know, I, 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 uh, I, I describe it as having this beautiful kind of rocky road uh, kind yeah, of flavour to that. it. And uh, you know, really, really enjoy that. I made a comment about how they... I don't understand how they can get it so right year in, year out. Every single year, it's that, that beer they're, just they're, does they're not fail they know what they're doing. ever to disappoint. And they and they keep it interesting. They vary it up yeah, every I single do. year. I really enjoy that about it. And they just get it right every single time. I'm so 
bowled over by how yep. good that beer is. Nailed it. Yeah, absolutely. Brad, you got a non-beer. Uh, non-beer recommendation. Okay, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna recommend a relatively niche sport. Formula E. Um, I don't know if you guys have come across this. Is, is it an e-sports, e-sports Formula One? No, or? it's not. It's okay. It's it's actually electric motor racing. So <gasps> okay, it's, it's electric. I, think I actually have watched a bit electric of electric engine, electric engines. Yeah. Um, the series basically runs across a load of street circuits. So I think there's about ten or twelve races. I have, I have watched per some of year. These, yeah. And all of them are street circuits. They're really tight, windy tracks. Mm-hmm. These little electric um, <laughs> uh, yeah, racing cars, they make this really high-pitched squeal as they're going mm-hmm. through the, 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 the street circuits. Very close racing, very kind of bumper car-ish type racing, lots of contact. What, are the, but, what do the cars look like? Um, kind of like Formula One? They do or? look a little bit yeah, like, yeah. like Formula One. Yeah, that, that kind of style. They're, yeah, they're um, open, open-top um, single-seaters. Yeah. Um, but they do some really interesting things in there. So they have this, it's all run off of batteries, obviously, um, and they get given a certain amount of energy to use throughout the entire race. And they get to a point where they're all running out of battery power towards the end of the race. So they have to try and harvest more energy using this like this energy um, uh, harvesting systems, right, With by early braking and coasting and stuff. And sometimes they run out of power and they just like come, <laughs> they just come to a stop in the middle of the track at the end of the race. Oh, that's really, and they've, they've that has all, another element. That's they really also have like a boost thing that's very Mario Kart, right? So you kind of, <laughs> they'll, they'll choose a corner in the circuit where you have to go around the outside of the track and then run over these like three arrows that are on the track <laughs> and then you get like an extra 25% engine boost for the next four minutes. Oh my minutes. God, this is oh, great. Oh my it's, God. It really, is amazing. Yeah, it's like brilliant. it's a real breath of fresh air compared to you know what can be quite turgid Formula One type. Yeah, See, I thought you were talking about like you know people just, playing Gran Turismo. No, well, no track racing. Like you know the, the yeah, the, yeah, right. You just put some slot cars, slot yeah. cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like that's actually way more really, interesting than that. Cool. The, the series is is got lots of ex Formula One races in there, so people you know. The Formula racers who go out to pasture, they're yeah, often yeah, retire yeah. into this series as a bit. Oh, so so bit it's of like fun. the um, the American Soccer League. Yeah, right? absolutely. it's just it's just like that. But it's it's really good fun. That sounds they have awesome. Four, they're forty five minute races, so they don't go on too long. Um, they have the qualifying and the race on the same day, so it's all all done quite quickly. And you can watch it on YouTube. Um, the series is is shown on YouTube in the UK, so you'll need a, a VPN to okay. to the UK to watch it for free. But it's also on. I think it's on Fox Sports over here as well. So yeah, cool. Might yeah. be on Kayo then. Look yeah. it up. They're about. I think. Really? I think they're about five or six races into the season now. But there's still plenty of uh, plenty of racing yeah, left. And it's and every time I've watched a race, there's been a, someone else who's won it. It's so close. Like yeah. the, the whole championship. No, it so. sounds fun. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I'm yeah. definitely gonna look into that. Look it up. Um, I'm going to recommend a show. Um, so I was looking for a show to watch after I finished The Americans, which, by the way, American season six, amazing. So I recommended The Americans a while ago, um, and it was a, it's a fucking great series. Definitely watch it. And I was just like, there was a void to fill when I finished that. And one of the one of the ones that were was most recommended to watch after the Americans was a new newish show called Killing Eve. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so I kept that in the back of my head, and it was actually on the plane uh, on the way to and back from Europe. So I watched a few episodes. I think I'm only still about halfway through season one, but it is fucking good. It's like a Great. so it's a story about this um, MI5 agent who is trying to track. A currently unknown assassin, a female assassin, that's been killing, you know, people at seemingly random. So 
yeah, it's just this kind of cat and mouse game, but then the assassin starts to hunt for her. So it's like super interesting. I don't know how it's going to go. Um, I, the plane was about to land when something important was about to happen, and I'm like, fuck! <laughs> yeah. Season two is aired in America now. Uh, so season two is on ABC iView, I, I believe. Oh, wow. Or is it SPS? Or it might be SPS. Yeah, I think it might be SPS. Yeah. One of those two. Yeah. Uh, ABC iView, SBS On Demand. Um, I think when I landed, season one was about to expire as well. So, yeah, yeah you can definitely um, watch some of it uh, in Australia. Cool. Uh, Liam? I've been getting into a new uh, new video game uh, on my computer called Mordhau, which is basically like an online multiplayer, but it's like medieval battle. And so you have like lances on horses or you're a knight with this cool. mace. And it's like fucking epic because the whole like, you got to use your mouse to swing your sword and block and stuff like that. And it's like, I played like one game when I first got it and I had no idea what happened because all this in my screen started rolling. I realized I'd been decapitated. And it was my head rolling across the ground. <laughs> but um, it's just like, just like you literally just go and like hack limbs off people with a, with a giant sword. It's good fun. <laughs> um, I was also going to recommend a video game until Adrian reminded me that he had recommended the game. Um, uh, you can still recommend it. So uh, you, can't, you get a forfeit. Well, I was going to say quick shout out for Slay the Spire, which just came out on Nintendo Switch. Um, it's a very good game. Um, but my recommendation is going to be a podcast. Um, I have, uh, really been enjoying, um, I think we actually might've recommended, um, the Saturday paper on the podcast ages ago. Yeah, I probably did because Um, I'm a fucking lefty. Yeah. Um, but the same guys who published that, uh, have started, um, releasing a daily podcast, um, just on weekdays though. So, you know, not on Saturday, Sunday, it's called 7am. Um, and it's just like, it's basically the Australian equivalent of, uh, the Daily um, from the New York Times, where it's just like 15, 20 minutes about one single issue and just really like nice bite-sized, but balances being short, but also going in depth onto one sort of thing. And um, I've listened to every episode for the last two weeks, basically, and I've really been enjoying it. Cool. We started off with a niche sport. Um, I'm going to finish off with the biggest participation sport in Australia, um, the Women's World Cup. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah, I watched the Go to watched the game the other night, and, which uh, got robbed by Italy again. Uh, fucking uh, uh. <laughs> so uh. Australia are in there, England's in there, Scotland's in there. So, well, hopefully, so. um, by the time this podcast podcast comes out, Australia's still in there. I'm not so sure if Scotland are still going to be in there. But, uh, <laughs> How are they going? Well, not yeah. so good. Yeah. Not, not so good. We, you know, and then one of the biggest games of uh, that you you'll see for ages: Scotland against England. So yeah. Oh wow. And uh, yeah. Okay. Let's maybe not discuss it anymore. <laughs> I'll cut it out. I'll cut it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. Um, well, I think that wraps up this episode of the podcast. How yeah. are your guys' hiatus hernias going after? Uh, how, how what? Your your hiatus hernias. Your your. Oh, I may have a little bit of reflux. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think I might have some Zantac left. No, no, we use it all at Gabs. Um, <laughs> God. But uh, thank you very much uh, for joining us, Willie. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Um, and as always, um, please rate and review us on Apple, I, Pod- uh, Apple, Apple Podcast. Apple Podcast. <laughs> Apple Podcast. Oh, By the time this comes out, iTunes will be dead. Probably. Yeah. Probably. Um, yeah, please write and review us. Um, you can find us on sexual.net. And if you want to contact us, um, you can find our contact details there. We'd love to hear from you. Um, we're happy to take questions and stuff uh, on the podcast. And we love to hear from our listeners. And um, thank you very much for joining us again. Bye. Cheers.